What's going on, everybody? Mitch Michaels here. Time for another edition of the Money Mitch Effect the sports podcast that hits all the topics in sports. We also dive into some entertainment as well. But we're a sports podcast. It's what we do. And I'm delighted to have today's guests for another edition of this show. Mid-December, we're getting you ready for the holidays. It's TD St. Matthew Daniel, friend of mine from my days at the NFL Network. He now works for Uninterrupted as the executive producer there. Uh, he is doing great things there. We're going to talk hoops. He is a basketball nut, and we have a lot to discuss. Are the Rockets and Celtics big contenders? His thoughts on the Thunder, you're not going to want to miss that. Giannis, Boogie Cousins, what the Sixers and Lakers can do, how they're uh, excelling as young teams. All that with TD St. Matthew Daniel. And then Adam Muscle is going to join to talk NFL Week 14 action as we gear up for the end of the regular season. But first, TD St. Matthew Daniel on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, always a pleasure on the Money Mitch Effect. It's a it's a happy day. Get to talk to this guy next, TD St. Matthew Daniel. Going to talk some NBA now. Working at Uninterrupted, executive producer there. TD, what's up, man? How's it going? Glad to be back on the show. We've been happy for a little while, but um, you know, <laughs> life pops up every now and then. But glad to finally be back on. It does, it does. But um, no, seriously, thanks for coming on. We got to talk hoops. It's been an interesting uh, couple months to start the season in the National Basketball Association. And there's a lot of places we can start with. But uh, there's one team in particular I got to get your take on to start. I know you like to come in hot with some of the some of the teams here. But the Houston Rockets have been very fascinating to me because we're in this society right now where the Warriors are just running game and, and the Cavs are right there. We've seen them in the finals three straight years. But, TD, what Houston's doing, and I won't even call it under the radar with how they've started, having the most threes made this season, having uh, being the standard bearer for just up-tempo offense under D'Antoni, do you think they are at this point with Chris Paul, the big addition there, with a rejuvenated Eric Gordon, James Harden leading the league in scoring, do you think this Rockets team is ready to go all the way? Can we, can we put them in that category? That's what's tricky, right? Like, there's the regular season and then there's the postseason. <laughs> you know, there's the, there's the money season, you know, here on a, on a money match effect. But mm-hmm. um, I just think they're a really, really good regular season squad. I think they're I, – I definitely think they're a top three team in the league, number one seed as well. And right now they're number one seed in the West. Like, I mean, that might not finish that way. The Warriors might go on a, you know, in a streak to end the season. But the Warriors might not. Like, the Warriors are in, are in their third year – or fourth year of this dominant run of theirs, they should, you know, more, I would say the better favorite is on the Warriors making it to the finals for a fourth straight year. And after a while, as we saw the Miami teams, or even some of those MJ Jordan teams, like, you get fatigued with the, with the regular season. So I can see the Rockets being somewhat new. Obviously, James Harden has been there. A good amount of that core has been there. But this iteration of the Rockets with Chris Paul and D'Antoni pretty best. He has two Hall of Fame point guards every time based on how he staggers their minutes. And Clint Capella playing well, mm-hmm. Eric Gordon showing off what you know what he can do when he's healthy. That squad is definitely, definitely scary. I just think that ultimately, even if they might end up finishing first in the West come playoff time, I think you still have the, the all-time Warriors squad. And let's not forget the Spurs, who even without Kawhi, and we know Kawhi just returned, he's back in action. But even without Kawhi, the Spurs are right there, right there with the top three teams in the West. So 
it, it, it's tough for me. I definitely say no. <laughs> Just <laughs> yeah. overall, like, because you have the Warriors. The Warriors are playing for the playoffs. The Warriors have two MVPs in their squad. We know the Rockets have one MVP and James Harden, and obviously another player who's you know past his prime, but a legitimate player. But the thing with the Rockets overall, and I'll wrap on this is they're two stars, and as much as I love Chris Paul, we've seen him falter a few times in the playoffs, and sometimes that stuff like that is a narrative because we did see that big Game Seven win against the Spurs a couple of years ago, but we've also we also saw the you know the hiccup against the Thunder. We also yeah. saw the obviously the meltdown against the Rockets a couple of years back as well. So he's had some hiccups in the playoffs and James Harden too, man. He's not had the best of playoffs, especially given how his regular seasons have gone. Look at last year, just mm-hmm. for example. And some of that just goes to show like it's tough for point guards in the playoffs. We talked about with Steph Curry as well. We talked about with um, Chris Paul, but even James Harden who plays like a point guard, who handles a rock like a point guard come playoff time He's not getting all those calls anymore that he usually gets. And I know he's playing out of his mind. He's having a crazy offensive season. But I still trust what the system of both the Warriors and I trust the system of both the Spurs more than I trust the Rockets going to play time. Okay. Well, I do want to say, too, I mean, Eric Gordon is another guy that has had his moments in crunch time last year against the Spurs. Game 5 comes to mind. But Capella, what he's done 14-11 and 11 this year, essentially giving them another threat in the post. I agree. I think it's a little too soon to say this team's ready to go all the way just because we know how high the standard is. But I do think there's some truth. Just one final note on this team, TD. I think they got Chris Paul, as weird as it is, for that 10-15 to 15 minute stretch when Harden can't be the guy. It's probably a lot of money to pay for that stretch, but the Rockets saw they had a significant weakness when he was either off the floor or not the focal part of the offense. So they don't even need Chris Paul to be anywhere near that Hall of Fame point guard. I don't think that he he was. I think they just need him to steady the ship and make big plays in in a brief stretch. Yeah, totally. And then a couple of weeks ago, or last week actually, it was you know the six-year anniversary of the basketball reasons trade that stopped Chris Paul from yeah. teaming up Kobe and that was a prime Chris Paul that was mm-hmm. Chris Paul coming up an MVP worthy season you know, one of those years that uh, when Kobe won the MVP you know personally I kind of side eye that I was like hey but that should have been Chris Paul's MVP like so Chris Paul was legit back then in his prime but that wasn't that was a trade that came out of nowhere that if it did go through right the the, the thing with Chris Paul during the Rockets this time was Chris Paul went to the Clippers went to Doc went to Steve Ballmer and was like hey I want to go play with Houston. I want to go play with James Harden because him and James Harden had discussed that already and talked about it. Obviously, these guys have teamed up in all-star games and Team USA. They wanted to do this. This is a this was not an arranged marriage. This was them, you know, consenting to this Player deal. Driven, yeah. yeah, part of it is Chris Paul knowing that, he, you know, obviously he's not a – I mean, he had a couple of highlights the other day where he's still putting guys on skates because of his, his crazy handle and ball control and body control – but he knows he's at the, you know, tail end of his physical ability, especially being his size. And, yeah, he probably thought about it. It's like, yeah, I'll come in and be a, be an all-star for 15 minutes. And for the other 15 minutes I'm playing, I can be second fiddle to James Harden. I'm completely fine with that. And then, obviously, Harden and Dan Tony and Daryl Murray, based on how they want to play, taking full, full advantage of that. Ultimately, again, I just think that, like you said, Mitch, it's the standard. It's not them. Under most seasons, without the Warriors, the Rockets are as good as anyone to win the title. It's just that you have such a 
definitive gap, noticeable gap between the Warriors that could be an all-time team and the Rockets and Spurs and Cavs who are really, really good teams. Okay. Well, I do want to ask you then, going off that point, to the Eastern Conference, does that gap still exist? This makes this makes <laughs> the NBA right now. Even I, I think this season is way more exciting than last yeah. season. The ratings show that the ratings are up thirty percent. But ultimately, when you get into <laughs> the conversations of like, yeah. can this team pose a challenge? That's when that conversation or sports debate, talking shows, kind of just fall flat. Because in most scenarios, it it would be a conversation, but not with this Warriors team. Just it's, not. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and you knew that Durant was going to step up when Curry was out. That's just how this team is built. I, I there's nothing you know there is nothing that's going to make me doubt them come playoff time. Come chips are down, the Warriors are ready to just ball out. I mean, they got look. We could talk about the Warriors till we're blue in the face, but they've gotten I would say significantly better at some of their weak spots, which is just downright scary. Yeah. To think about. Totally. And that's a team that's entirely just ramping up. Like, they mm-hmm. do not want to peak now. They have no. I actually made a mistake. I thought that there was a chance that without even trying, they could just absolutely approach close to 70, 70 wins again. And that hasn't been the case. They have a few new players, rotation guys, and Caspi and Nick Young, Jordan Bell, Patrick McCaw is getting more minutes. And so, like, yeah, they're playing the long game as they should. Mm-hmm. But I think. Ultimately, where I don't think I was wrong is that we will see this is the best iteration of this Warriors team if they're healthy come playoffs. They're fully and entirely in sync. And even the Steph Curry injury, Steph himself said it. This is good for them. You know, they get Durant getting more comfortable. You have guys like um, Quinn Cook, shout out to Duke, coming in and and getting minutes here, playing point guard. Who knows? Maybe, you know, he's on the roster come playoffs. I'm like, so it's it's all good for Warriors. I don't want to talk about the Warriors. I just. (laughs) It just kills the conversation yeah. when it's again the Rockets compete. It's like I really, really like the Rockets. It's just it's the Warriors, man. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to make it more fair to the point of the Eastern Conference because you're dead on with the Warriors. But do you seriously think that gap still exists with the Cavs in the Eastern Conference? Still talking with TD St. Daniel on the Money Mitch effect. Do you think the Cavs are clearly the best team? Because I gotta say. When Gordon Hayward went down, I thought they, I thought like most people, they were just gonna be fine. The Cavs were, you know, unfortunately for Hayward, another threat was gone. Then Kyrie Irving started bawling out of his mind, and Jason Tatum elevated his game. And lo and behold, TD, the Celtics have the best defensive efficiency in the entire NBA. So I ask you that same question: Can the Celtics break through in the Eastern Conference? And that's interesting that you say that because this is this is one. Um preseason hot take that I you know I, I stood by and I actually thought that it was out the window once Gordon Hayward went down but hey Brad Stevens he has done nothing with his time in Boston except overachieve with the roster he was given so now you give this guy an all a roster that didn't have you know, obviously Isaiah Thomas has bought out the last few seasons but that was you know he became that with the Celtics right he overachieved and that goes to shows the shows the brothers of Brad Stevens now you give him ready-made all-stars, one on-the-cusp superstar. And I would say on-the-cusp with, with Kyrie because, you know, obviously the, I think part of the, the reason – I think part of the reason he went to the Boston Celtics is to be a definitive superstar. We saw it in the playoffs. 
we sit in the playoffs, you know, last couple of seasons, the times in the regular season where he kind of disappears or gets hurt or, or something, or the attention's all LeBron, and he wanted to be a definitive superstar. Superstar, is a, it's a hard level to get. Maybe like eight eight guys or so that are legitimate superstars, right? Like, I don't think yeah. Paul George is a superstar. You know, like, that's kind of like the level, right? Okay. Like, you have Westbrook, you have LeBron, you have Durant, you have Steph, Anthony Davis, like, Kawhi, obviously, Harden, but... Superstars is hard to come by, so I'm not give, I'm not slighting him by saying he was on a cusp of being a superstar. Um, right. I just that that was part of his motivation. But well, either way, yeah, and, and you know that TD, TD, sorry to cut you off, but you know sorry, you that one of the main reasons that he wanted out of Cleveland, despite going to the finals three years in a row and winning those championships, is because he wanted to be the guy. And I think a lot oh. of people outside of basketball don't quite grasp that. He believed that he had the game to be that superstar, like you said, one of the top seven, eight players in the league. But there's something different about being the lead force to know that the offense is running through you, that no matter how good you're playing, you are the head honcho. And he got that chance with Brad Stevens to hit that next gear in basketball, and he's done it. I mean, for all that he had to live through in the offseason, all the ridiculing, I, I think there is nothing, hindsight 2020, that's going to make him question his decision because he is playing as good a basketball as I've seen a twenty-something a, a point guard play in a very long time. No, entirely, entirely, and I would even say this: like he's averaging less points now than he did in Cleveland last year. You know, this is second most he's averaged, but still less than what he did in Cleveland last year. His field goal to, field goal attempts per game are down. He's only shooting seventeen field goals. It's essentially he's shooting eighteen shots a game. Last year he shot twenty. So. It's not like he's going balls out, just getting buckets, just absolutely ball hogging. He's actually doing a good job of staying within that Brad Stevens system. Goes back to system talk. Like, I trust teams with a system way more than I trust teams with star players. It works absolutely fantastic when you have a system and star players or star players that buy into the system. Um, but ultimately, we see that. That's why the Spurs have stayed in contention for so many years because ultimately it's all about their system, really. But what he does, what Kyrie does a really good job of is now with Boston is like being that closer. Get you know, so many games so far this season where he might he might have twelve points and six assists going into the third or fourth, and then he just blows up in the fourth quarter or overtime if that comes if, if that happens, and that's his role. It's just like the playoffs, going playoff time. You know, the ISOs against the Warriors and whatnot. He's ready to go, and it's a fun team to watch, man. Because I'm a big fan of Jason Tatum too. And what he's able to do as a rookie, as a third and fourth option, and be steady. You don't have that with rookies being steady. It doesn't happen. I'm a massive, massive Ben Simmons guy. I think he has all-time potential. But he's in a position, Ben is, in, in Philly, where most nights he's counted on first, second option, him and Embiid. And there's some nights he puts up a fantastic 27-10 and 10 game. And then the game tonight against the, the T-Wolves, even though he still had a really good game overall, just facilitating and doing what he does all around on the offensive end, he only had about five points. So that was some of that rookie inconsistency. Tatum, on the other hand, he doesn't have that offensive load, but he, what he is provided is offensive consistency that you don't see for most rookies. And it's a really good squad, man. So despite Gordon Hayward going down, I, I'm still giving that team a chance to compete with Cleveland. But I'm not as certain about it as I would have been if Gordon was still around. Right. I think we need to see Isaiah Thomas out there for the Cavs and see where the Cavs are in April because that's all that it comes down to for this team. 
having been through the gauntlet as many times as LeBron's been, who's having one of his season for the ages ho-hum there. But I think, too, I mean, defensively, they're going to be a better team. The thing that the Celtics have done, though, is they've stockpiled a lot of these wing players. If Hayward's back, I mean, we don't even know what his status is going to be, but Jalen Brown's played well. They get a lot out of Tatum. I think this could be interesting. It's a lot. I'm a lot more optimistic, I think we both are, about the Celtics' chances to come out of the East than the Rockets or anybody in the West. So should be should be exciting. Agree there for sure. Yeah, I would definitely give the Celtics a better chance than I would give the Rockets or the Spurs a better chance of beating Golden State. And it's odd, but that's just the way it is, right? Like, that's why with the All-Star game this year, finally finally getting rid of East versus West, it's like we want the playoffs to get rid of, of East yeah. versus West. Like, the, biggest just winner, the biggest winner there was Dame Lillard, right? <laughs> He's probably going to make an All-Star team. No, but that's the thing, right? So they're, they're dipping their toes into this. The NBA is dipping their toes ever so slightly. So even if the teams are going to be East versus West, the selection – Oh, no, even though the teams are going to be void of the conferences, mm-hmm. the selection process is still 12 players in the East and 12 players in the West. Okay. So Dame is still in a bad boat. <laughs> we got to get him to the All-Star game. He's top it's five in tough, scoring man. again. <laughs> it's tough out there. I mean, you got guys like, obviously, he's injured now, but Devin Booker, who was also putting up buckets, and it is tough out there in the West. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 24 and 10, 24 and 10 at the All-Star break two years ago. You know how many guys haven't yeah. made the All-Star team? One, Dame Lillard, so yeah. in the last 30 years. Uh, yeah. All right, TD, still talking money, Mitch Effect, hoops. Uh, you mentioned the Sixers. I want to talk about some of the younger teams that aren't really at championship level but have been exciting or intriguing to watch. And so, two uh, that come to mind are the Sixers and the Lakers. We're back to that golden era maybe of these up-and-coming yeah. big markets. We saw the Sixers play tonight. They get the win on the road against the Timberwolves in one of the craziest games I've seen, which feature the good and bad of both of these teams. A lot of good offensive playmaking, a lot of bad defensive uh, switching. I think it was interesting how the Timberwolves just decided to not switch at all and a lot of layups and dunks at the end for the Sixers. But TD, they're 14-13 and 13 now. Embiid has proven that he's a beast when he's on the court. And Simmons, as you noted, has some very, very all-time level potential. But is this team is this a team that we should be taking seriously already as more than just the feel good team to make the playoffs or is there some is there some questions because they did have Fultz they could have Jason Tatum on this team remember that but do you yep. think this team could still be uh, ahead of schedule we'll say going into this year yeah and just going back to Tatum I actually I've talked about this a few times on Twitter I also brought this up I jumped on uh, helped fill in on open run the open run podcast on uninterrupted check it out if you get a chance I helped fill in and talked about this as well how theoretically the Sixers could have could have had and beat at the five Tatum at the three and Ben Simmons at the one and if that was their lineup and future I'm taking that future over any other team in the league. Wait, and who and who did they draft in uh, 2014? Nerlens Noel. There's a, <laughs> a guy that is in Milwaukee that they could have had. I'm just saying, yeah. we're gonna spit yeah. on yeah. hypothetical. Dallas. I don't even know where Nerlens. You know, Nerlens these yeah. days. Right, and that's right. Oh no, you're talking about Giannis. Giannis, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Giannis, yeah. Sorry, I was like, wait, because I know that threw me off because I know Nerlens has bounced mm-hmm. around a few times, but. I mean, ultimately, yeah, like, you know, a lot of teams pass on Giannis. Let's not even go yeah, there. I know. Yeah, I, I mean, the Sixers are a really interesting team. I really love their future. The thing is, they're an exciting team for now, and I, and this is something I tweeted prior to the season. I, my top five 
league pass teams, and it was Philadelphia, Philly, the Sixers, 76ers, and, and the process. Like, I was all in on the Sixers <laughs> coming into the year. Yeah. And a big part of that's with Ben Simmons, because I do think a guy like that, again, you watch tonight's game against the T-Wolves, and there are a couple of possessions where a young team like that just passes the ball, whips the ball around, finding an open man, and stuff like that doesn't happen unless you have a good system or and or sometimes a player who brings that sort of mentality to the game. And that's what Ben Simmons brings. That's not going to show up in the stat sheet. You might not get an assist for that. They might not even score on that play. But just the culture changing there of, like, find the open dude, find the open guy, keep that ball moving, it's contagious. People talk about how much passing is contagious sometimes, and that is true. When you have a guy that's 6'11", 7 foot, always find an open man, the other players feed off that energy as well. And I think that's part of what Ben brings to the table. Obviously, in addition to what he could do, like just driving in the paint, even without a jump shot. Yeah, and not even able to shoot free throws yet either. I mean, he's got areas of his game to improve on. I want to mention one other thing with Philly. There's physical freaks like around this league. Giannis is one of them, Kawhi. We can go on and on. But what Embiid is doing is, I'm going to say, trend-setting. Because I think this is going to be the start of a new type of style of play. I don't know if anyone's going to get to this level, or many people are going to get to this level. But this is a five that can do it all, that has moves, that has legitimate fluidity in his movement. And that's what's been the, the most jaw-dropping thing to me with the Sixers, with all due respect to Ben Simmons. But, but we've seen those type of dominant rookies before, not many, but we have seen them. I can't remember seeing anything like Embiid. Well, so I'll say this. So I'll, I'll agree with you first, and I'll disagree on the back end. I agree with you. Embiid's fluidity is insane. And we saw him pull off the Euro step today. Just a little shot fake. Yeah. Gets in the lane and then hits you with a euro step at that at that size. That's ridiculous. I will actually point this out though. I actually think he's some games this season, and obviously this is the first season where he's consistently playing. He still sits out a few back to back games. I know he sat out the last two or three games, but he's actually there are some games where he's looked a little bit sluggish to me. He's looked a little step, you know, steps a little bit slow, and I wonder if part of that is just him sort of like. I, I always thought kind of the issue with Embiid in the past, you know, obviously injury riddled up up until this point, was partly because he was a guy that he like, skill wise and mentally he's a guard, but he's in a big man's body, so he would move around like he's a guard, and sometimes his body is just is not just down with it. I, yeah, um, yeah. Cool. I almost wonder if this is him like filling into his body a little bit more, and that's why he slowed down a little. I, you know, so. As fluid as he is and as skilled as he is, I've seen some games where he looked a little bit sluggish. Well, as last year, there, there are times where it's like, dude, this this guy moves like a 6'5". Like, what the heck is going on here? His coordination, all of that. So hopefully that's something maybe it's just a conditioning issue because he's playing more and he gets back up there. But his skill level is never, never not on display when he has a ball in his hands. He does get, you know, he does get turned into a black hole every now and then in the post and he should learn how to pass out double teams better, which he is getting better at. And I'll and I'll say that. With both of these guys, I think they've done a good job of learning as the season has gone along and knowing what's working, knowing what's not, and uh, adding to their skill set. So that's good. Where I'm gonna disagree with you though, Mitch, is and it's not a crazy disagreement. This is just my sort of mind frame and thought. I don't think we've seen a lot of rookies like Ben before in the sense of his composure, his composure, his like knowledge of like 
hey, I'm not a jump shooter. I cannot shoot. This is how I'm going to get my buckets is absolutely insane. You don't see that with rookies. What you see with rookies and young players is them being hard-headed or trying out stuff that they're not good at yet. They don't have that discipline yet to know, hey, I'm not a 20 I'm not a 20-foot jump shot guy, so let me not even take it. Ben does not even take those shots. Like he knows it's not in his arsenal at all. You know, so there's a certain level of composure and discipline to his game and feel for the game that I haven't seen in a lot of players in general, let alone, let alone rookies. He's just so smooth on the ball, despite being extremely fast when he has the ball in his hands on the, on the break. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I think it, we're this is more along the lines of disagreeing with semantics here because I think I'm talking stylistically when I talk about yeah. Embiid. From a makeup standpoint, you're absolutely right. I think Simmons is, is special in that regard. I think fitness plays a factor in Embiid, as you were saying, and I also think we talk about it. These this, this team does not have a lot of veterans on it. So these guys yep. are having to be leaders as well. That's a very big difference, yep. something that Tatum isn't having to deal with as much. I, oh. I want to I want to switch to the other team I, I wanted to bring up, and that's the Lakers. Um, it's been interesting. It's been an interesting uh, start of the season. They have been okay. I mean, they've had their moments. They've looked good at times. They've looked poor at times. But it starts with Lonzo Ball, and, and we're not going to talk about the other stuff with, with LeVar and his uh, – and his kids um, going to uh, Lithuania, you know, to play professional, to be professional athletes over there. Uh, and we I, use, I use athlete, I use athlete loosely in Leangelo's case, but about, but about Lonzo, uh, he's had a solid rookie campaign to start. His assists and rebounds, he's a he's a true uh, guard that can move in transition, but the shot's not there. I look at this team, I look at what Lonzo Ball has to be to them, and, and I'm going to ask you that question. What do the Lakers need out of Alonzo Ball type player, out of Alonzo Ball, for them to make that next step? Do they need him to be a scorer? Can he thrive in this role? What's your assessment for how they've done so far? I actually think part of what makes Lonzo, uh, part of what's making Lonzo not have a great, a better rookie season is partly because the Lakers are a little bit ahead of schedule. Like in an ideal world, personally, I would have, you know, drafted Lonzo and just given him the keys entirely to the team and just have him, like, fail on the job and learn on the job. And there's been some moments when Luke wouldn't even play him in the fourth quarter. Or, obviously, Kyle Kuzma is having a, you know, having a great rookie season, by the way. that's He's definitely a guy in line for first rookie, all-rookie all first team. Brandon Ingram has stepped up. Jordan Clarkson has, has his moments. Yeah, so they're a little bit ahead of schedule, so, like, they're in games where they probably shouldn't be in, and then Lonzo's mistakes are more glaring. It's like, oh, he messed up, he did this, he did that. But no, the shot's not falling. That's a clear weakness, and then it goes back to Simmons. Simmons knows he doesn't have that shot, so he's not even taking that shot, right? right? Like, if you put these guys in a gym with no defense, Simmons and, uh, Simmons and Lonzo, I assure you that Lonzo makes way more jump shots than Simmons does. However, though, Come game time, like they know they at this point, Lonzo knows that he's a 30, 32% shooter, and Simmons knows that he's also not a good shooter, but he's shooting 50% from the field because he, he's not taking shots that he's not going to make. Mm-hmm. Like, he knows that. He knows, like, right. he's figured out the whole bad shot selection and all that type of stuff. And I get that Lonzo wants to be confident, but the shot's not there yet. So, I mean, it's ultimately, I, I should think he has a really, really bright future ahead of him. Not Maybe not 
going back to superstar versus all-star. I think, you know, he can have a couple all-star games in his, in his future, which is good in that size. That's not, that's not, that's not nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. Um, but so far this season, he's shown flashes here and there. He, he just, his mistakes are just more glaring because he's playing for the Lakers one. And he's actually playing on a Lakers team that is not as bad as they could be. Yeah. And, and I think, and I think in addition to that, I don't know that they need him to be the shooter. If Ingram is going to step up, he's the guy that I'm more interested in watching his development. Because that Warriors game a couple weeks ago, he was right there at that all-star level. And if he can get there and if he can be the guy to knock down threes, I know he hit the winner against the Sixers. Kuzma's a sharp shooter. I don't know that they need Lonzo to be a knockdown shooter. And I think he can do enough other things to where he can play at that all-star level. It's a fascinating team to watch, certainly. But... You know, a lot of these young teams are uh, TD, and uh, I know you're. We're pressed sure. for time. I know we're pressed for time here. TD St. Matthew Daniel on the money Mitch effect. Before I let you go, I just want to go through some some rapid fire things really quick. Just want to let you know. Do you know who the uh, third, who the team with the third highest field goal percentages in the league right now, behind the Warriors and the Rockets? Off the top, third highest field goal percentage. Any shot at the Pacers. I should say, um, I should say, we'll, we'll we'll reward this differently because it's the advanced uh, field goal percentage. But the be- most efficient team teams in the league right now are Warriors, Rockets, and Cavaliers on an offensive side. The fourth okay. team is not the Pacers; they're six. That was a good guess. Okay. The New Orleans Pelicans. Oh wow! And yeah. when you think about it, right, it makes sense because they're saying screw threes. We're going to go with twos with Boogie <laughs> and big. Davis, and you're not going to stop us. Yep, they got two bigs and they got Rondo. So yeah, that's it's a, a throwback, lot. right? Like they're just yep. saying, you know, it's screw analytics. We we're good at certain things, and and I don't know what this will mean long term if they can get some wing play. Uh, it's just it's refreshing to watch. I'm 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 happy and I'm impressed with Boogie especially because we had our doubts. A lot of people have had their doubts, but he's settling in a little bit. It's nice yep. to it's nice to have a coach that's there the next season when you come back. So. No, totally. <laughs> Happy for Boogie for sure. I, am. I I think with him too, like it's if he ever ends up in a situation where there's already winning going on, and he can sort of be like that lead scorer, and I I think that's a match made in heaven for him. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be the guy who elevates his team to wins, um, because he hasn't been that guy. I'm not saying he can't be, but he, so far he hasn't necessarily been that guy. But if he and finds a way, it ends up on a team or like on the Celtics. Like imagine him. Like I love what Al Horford is doing, and he's having a great year. And he probably does stuff on the defense. He definitely does stuff on the defensive end that Demarcus Cousins can't do. But on offense, you see these games where Al Horford has six, you know, six, seven assists thereabouts. Like put Demarcus Cousins in that offense, and that's a whole new ball game. Like right? you know, yeah. offensively anyway. So yeah, but no, shout out to Boogie man, having a very, very good season. I agree. Uh, one other thing I want to mention: where do we rank? Greek freak right now. Where is he? Second best, third best, fourth best in the league? We're on the league? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um we're getting to that point. We gotta have that conversation now, right? Like <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but I mean we do, but like it goes back to the Warriors thing. It's like he's really awesome. But then the standard is LeBron James. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's true, yeah. Standard is LeBron James. Standard right now, obviously too, is, is James Harden having a great in a regular season, but that's just a great regular season. I'll 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 do it this way. Let's do it this way. This, who would you Next two, three years, or next five years, and you need to win a title or you want to build a team around. I still think you go with LeBron because LeBron is still clearly still has a good two, three years in him. Like, like mm-hmm. look at the numbers he's putting up. So LeBron's definitely in that mix. 
Durant's definitely in that mix. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm taking James Harden over Giannis. I don't think so. I yeah. really think yeah. I'm I think I'm taking Giannis over James. So I would almost put it that put it that way. He might not be the best right now, or the second best right now, or third best right now. He's definitely probably top five. But if I was building around a player for the next three, four years, I'm going Giannis over, over Harden, I guess. Uh, hope that's an answer enough. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm in that boat because outside of LeBron and Durant to kind of build going forward, he's doing something new every year. And this year what I've noticed is how much smarter he is offensively. Yeah. Where if he gets a small guy on him, he just backs him right down and scores, you know. And he, and he's oh, trusting yeah. his teammates. Bledsoe was a nice pickup. I'm just I, I just love watching him play, and that's another guy that I think I'm, I'm rooting that the system and the pieces around him fit, so we could see this guy in some big playoff basketball. Uh, and we, we talk about selection and knowing your skill set. Here's a guy we all thought like, hey man, if he just you know adds a three point shot, adds a three point shot. I'm I'm not saying he's not working on it. He probably is. But for some people, it's harder than it's harder than others, right? So he's he's shooting less three pointers less three pointers this year than he did last year. You know, like he's he's aware of what he's good at and what he's not good at. I'm not saying that three point shot's not going to come, but for now, it's not quite there. So he's doing more of what he's great at, and that's attacking in the paint and doing some other stuff. So the more he gets to attacking the paint, the more the defenses collapses on him, and then he can kick it out to the other guys who can then hopefully hit some threes. So. Yeah, yeah, Giannis is a monster, straight up monster. I, I definitely LeBron over him right now, Durant, and I. I think I go Giannis right now, right after that. He's a league pass guy to watch for sure. If, mm-hmm. if league pass is like Giannis is going crazy, I mean, <laughs> that's my <laughs> yeah. TV. Last question for you though. Uh, we're already at the point of the season, two months in, and I got to ask you, who, if any teams out there, should be thinking about maybe blowing it up and and selling off the deadline? There's one team Ooh. in mind that. I'm thinking of it plays at the Staples Center, and it's actually not the Lakers. Oh no, you're right. I mean that <laughs> the Clippers—they totally could go in that direction, given the injuries that they've had so far, and it's just not working out. And it's funny how things change because the first eight games or so of the season, the narrative was, "Oh my goodness, the Clippers didn't need Chris Paul," and, and I'm not saying Chris Paul alone is, is you know is the reason for the for their downfall. Obviously, again, injuries have played a part, but that narrative died a quick, swift death. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, totally, they they probably could because they're just in no man's land right now. And uh, let me see, uh, the Grizzlies. I, yes. I don't know the situation, but the Grizzlies are another team that sticks out. They're another team that, honestly, last three years, I have no idea how they've been so good and so competitive. Like, that's just, I've, I've thought for a while they should go in the earlier direction. You're not winning. So even if there were six or the seventh seed or whatever, you're not doing anything with that squad. Just go in the other direction. And again, not being no man's land. Um, the Hawks are not trying to tank, but they're definitely not good enough and they're going to stay there. You see teams like the Magic. The Magic are trying to do some stuff. Aaron Gordon has had a really good season so far this year. They're just not good enough yet. So they're probably going to end up in that in that route. Um, one team I would do want to note was the Brooklyn Nets. And the reason being is because the Cavs have their pick. And that's why I thought that trade was pretty good for Boston. Because mm-hmm. that pick they were giving up, the Brooklyn Nets pick is not as valuable anymore. No, it's not. The Nets, the Nets signed some vets this offseason. They got D'Angelo Russell. Now they got Jaleel, too. And that's right. They have Jaleel Walker for now. And that's a team that knows they're not, they don't have their first-round picks. From the front office down to the coaching staff, 
and they're out there competing. They're 11, 11 and 15. Last year, they didn't win their 10th game of the season to until about March or so. So that pick is not as good. Based on records, that pick is like around the 8th and ninth or eighth and ninth pick right now in the league and while that's still good it's not what it's not what most people thought it was going to be right where it could be a top pick or number one pick or thereabouts so shout out to the Brooklyn Nets man competing yeah I'm surprised you didn't say the thunder though (laughs) no I'm kidding no 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 no. the thunder I mean just (laughs) I know the thunder is a whole I have a whole nother spiel about the thunder and how this this just proves that last year's MVP season was a rouge and we shouldn't have fallen for it. I vote I, if I had a vote, I didn't have a vote. I would have voted for Harden. I got so much flack yeah. for that, but that was my guy last year. We fell for it, and we shouldn't Sorry. have for it. My okay, I'll quickly recap <laughs> oh, this. And I got it, and I got it. Yeah. But essentially, last year's season, from the top on down, from the front office to the coaching staff to the players, was all built around Russell Westbrook winning the MVP. So while it was amazing what he actually did, the effort he put in. It's not that amazing when you look at that fact. Let me put it to you this way. There's this Steven Adams was not going for rebounds. They were they were letting him get so, rebounds. So, so that's on the player level. On the coach's level, Bill and Donovan isn't going to say anything. It's like, yeah, it's part of a strategy for Russell Westbrook to grab rebounds. That's what we're doing. And and I love that that's the only time he, you know, Billy Donovan has any other strategy because other than that, it's a lot of ISO. So that's one thing. All right. Yeah. Um, and we all see, don't give me the whole, he had no help. You see, we all see what Victor Oladipo yeah, is shout doing. Shout out to Depot, by the way. <laughs> Top 10 in scoring. Uh, oh, my gosh. 24.5. More all points star. than all those guys on the Thunder. All Higher star. than all of them. But okay. All-star. All-star this year. Um, so that's the player side of things and the coaching side of things. And then the front office. What's the incentive for the front office to, to be down with that? Oh, only because if Westbrook wins, wins the MVP, everyone loves him. Nice underdog story. You know, he's surviving without Kevin Durant. He signs an extension, which he does, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> it all worked out nicely last year, and we fell for it because that's why ultimately there was, what were their fifth or sixth seed? That yeah. was still not a good team. Amazing performances, but they were, they were only so amazing because the entire team was part of the deal, the entire squad. I mean, let me put it this way. Imagine what so, what type of season LeBron would have if the entire franchise's goal was to give Le, have, make LeBron have his best season ever. Imagine what type of season Durant or Steph Curry, you know, during his MVP years would have. Steph Curry was having those years while the team was putting up 73, 69 wins. While there was team success, it wasn't all geared to a Steph. There will be Warriors fans that call out Steve Kerr. And talk talking about why don't they run through why don't they run the offense through Steph and pick and rolls more often? The actual Warriors fans that get mad at Steve Kerr for not playing through Steph Curry more often. So ultimately, man, like I just feel like we fell for that. We shouldn't have fallen for it, and this season kind of proves that. And, yo, <laughs> I know, I know, you know, I know this is a sensitive subject for you. No, it's hear, sensitive as much as it's kind of like. I knew there was something fishy about it. I knew there was something yeah. fishy about it, and I kind of, oh, I voiced it a few times, and this is just proof, man. It's just straight up proof. Oh man, we're doing this Skype, but I can hear the veins, you know, going off through your neck right now. You're just agitated, oh, but I get it. I, I felt the same way I, too. I just, I just like the sanctity of the MVP award. This is one of the few things I can hold on to, like know that 
And MVP awards just is never going to be on a good team. Just be on a good team. It's not exactly. that hard. <laughs> that's what it is. It, uh, it's not only be on a good team because that's what culture and tradition says. It's be on a good team because that's part of the criteria. That's the qualification. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you have to you have to put up numbers while leading your team to good teams <laughs> to good success. It's really no gray area at all. Uh, well, TD, thanks. This was fun. Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Good luck uh, with everything and uninterrupted. We'll be back to talk soon. And be careful yep. out there at your uh, work pickup games. It's a little tougher than most. Yeah, it's a lot tougher out there, and I agree. <laughs> be careful. Don't thankfully, take any charges. Don't take any charges. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, you know, you know, you know, LeBron's right now focused on uh, the cab season. Um, so you know, but it's great though. I'm excited. To, you know, I'm about a month in, and you know, it's a great group of co-workers out there and it's a great group uh, of athletes that we had a chance to work with and do some cool stuff with um obviously people know this for you know lebron and, and maverick carter starting this a couple of years ago but it's really overall just a really awesome place for for athletes uh, to come tell some really awesome stories so i'm excited to be a part of it man and so check out our podcast uh, we got some cool stuff i've been on i've been an open one i was an open one earlier today and I've been on open run for three days and three episodes in the last 10 days. And it's been a fun time just helping fill in and doing some cool stuff. I mean, Jesse Williams is on that show for crying out loud. And it's like, so it's a fun time, man. Just, you know, being able to talk hoops and work with some pretty awesome people. I right, appreciate it, TD. We'll definitely check all that out. Thanks again for coming on. You're welcome anytime. And uh, until next time, we'll just see what the hoops world has for us. But thanks again for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Sounds good. All right, huge thanks to TD for coming on the show. It was a very, very fun segment. Uh, yeah, I did not expect his Thunder takes to be so passionate. I knew he was a big Ben Simmons fan, though. But this is uh, right in his wheelhouse, thanks to him. And good luck to him with everything, too, and uninterrupted as they continue to pump out good content. All right, now it's up to Adam Musto. We're going to talk with him week 14 in the NFL. A lot of new developments, Steelers and Ravens, in a very, very good matchup. The Carson Wentz injury that sucked. It just unfortunately took the bottom out of uh, a lot of our uh, optimism for that week. Panthers beat the Vikings. A lot of big storylines, including how awful the Browns are, which I'm always excited to talk about for some reason. But the NFL talk with Adam Musa, week 14. Here it is now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now back on the Money Mitch Effect, returning on the show, front of the program, Adam Musto, talk NFL football. Another dramatic week in the NFL. Adam, thanks for joining the show. Yep, thank you. Um, yeah, crazy week. I mean, a lot of good games, obviously big injuries. I think we got a lot more clarity, but maybe a lot more questions heading into the playoffs. So um, I'm sure we'll break it all down now. <laughs> yeah, week 14 in the bag. We're recording this before the Patriots-Dolphins game, which doesn't really have a lot of implications going forward. Uh, New England's still trying to secure that first seed, but they got that game against the Steelers next week that could pretty much take care of that. But the big news, and these stories are kind of intertwined, Adam, there's no way around it. The Rams and Eagles game was the game of the week, and it lived up to the billing with the Eagles getting a 43-35 to win. But that's not what anybody's talking about. The big story, unfortunately, which everyone's heard by now, Carson Wentz out for the season with a torn ACL. Another injury in a long line of star players getting injured this year. Really, players in general getting injured. But Adam, this was different. This was arguably the MVP frontrunner, one of the best young faces in the league, and a guy that was the driving force behind the Eagles' potential Super Bowl run, which all seems to be 
in the past. I know that a lot of these injuries, all these injuries have been gutting, to say the least, for the casual fan. But this one, just doesn't it just seem like it hurts more than most? You're absolutely right. And I think, you know, I feel like last time we talked, it was also a big injury week with uh, J.J. Watt and Odell Beckham. But this is much different, like you said, just because it is obviously the quarterback and it's not just – I think there's a lot more wins on the line. You know, you take someone like Odell Beckham, and obviously he's a great playmaker, but the Giants have struggled, and I don't think he's the main reason that, you know, they win or lose a whole lot of games. Um, obviously it has an impact. But, yeah, I think you go back to last year with the Raiders and just how they fell off after Derek Carr got injured. And I think even this is even, you know, more more up there just because, you know, you could have made an argument. I don't know if the Raiders still would have had a chance to go to the Super Bowl. There's a lot more competition in the AFC. But obviously the Eagles have been the front runner. You know, a lot of talk with the Vikings, and but, you know, how will Case Keenum do consistently in, in playoff games and kind of down the stretch. But, yeah, it's got to be a huge gut punch to them. And obviously in the quarterback-driven league that the NFL is, so much revolves around that position. And, you know, it's just a huge blow. And, and I think it opens up the NFC to so many different options that could happen. Yeah, and I think the Raiders, the car injury last year is a good point, And those are some fair critiques because they don't have the defense that this Eagles team does. I think that was number one. And number two being there were still, you know, the Patriots and the Steelers in the AFC. So we didn't really think that Oakland could, or at that point last year, was quite at the level of those two teams yet. This is different because the Eagles still have the biggest point differential in the NFL, the second highest scoring offense behind the Rams that they beat yesterday. Uh, but this is the, the story of the league, right? I mean, I thought the NFC playoffs was open, was wide open and exciting before the Wentz injury. But they go from being the front runner, being the favorite in a in a stacked conference, to now pretty much having no chance. I mean, I, I'm I'm willing to say it, you know, Musto. Unfortunately, I don't think they have a single chance with Nick Foles. All due respect to him, uh, that's that's how big a loss this is. Right. Yeah. And you know, I know a lot of people are going to go back and say, well, look at what Nick Foles did in 2013 with that crazy season with what zero or one interception the whole year. But but you know, he's changed a lot, and a lot of quarterbacks have changed since that time. And there's a lot of guys that were good in the NFL that. 2013 that you don't necessarily want quarterbacking your team now so yeah I mean I think that you know and last time we kind of had that conversation similar to this might have been just uh you know a couple months ago when Aaron Rodgers uh was injured and now all of a sudden the, the Vikings have gotten hot where you know before when Rodgers was in, in at the helm you would have never thought that they would have had a chance to compete for the division the Lions have definitely kind of fallen out and doesn't look like they're going to be in the playoffs so, yeah, it's, I think, you know, for Doug Peterson, though, maybe a chance for him to really make a mark and, and put his stamp on his head coaching career. You know, it's so funny. Coaches and, and head coaches and quarterbacks are kind of obviously tied at the hip to one another. And, you know, when one gets injured or one leaves, what's your legacy going to be? I kind of go back to Jim Caldwell when he was with the Colts. I think, you know, he got a lot of his wins because of Peyton Manning. We've kind of seen how the Packers have regressed without Aaron Rodgers. And I think you know maybe Mike McCarthy isn't as hot as you know he sh- he could be as a coach so um, those are all kind of things that will get answered I think also down the stretch yeah it might not be fair I mean it's really not fair to Foles or any quarterback regardless of how good they are to have to come in under these circumstances especially when you haven't had reps all season but I mean this is that is quite the drop off from Wentz and it does open up a lot of things the MVP p- picture which we'll get to in, in a little bit but also that conference just real quickly on the Rams though too Adam I wanted to ask you they lose yesterday they're nine and four but still obviously much better than a lot of people thought they would do this year 
do you think this game was them being exposed, or do you think kind of how I would I would think that they just didn't execute? Like they were, they had every right even before Wentz was injured to win this game. I think they, like a, young, a lot of young teams, just didn't really figure out how to make the plays down the stretch. And I think this will be as good a learning tool as you could have in a, in a loss. Yeah, I think that's definitely a fair fair critique. And 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 the big question was how are the Eagles going to bounce back after a big loss last week? Maybe somewhat in a similar position the Rams were this week, yeah. um, you know, where you are kind of a, a young upstart team and you're kind of looking for that consistency um, that can kind of dictate how well you do in the, in the playoffs. We all kind of felt, you know, obviously the Rams came out of nowhere. I kind of felt that the Eagles uh, on the flip side were still kind of a team that maybe needed a year in the playoffs to kind of figure out who they were. But obviously the, you know, the door was open with, with uh, everything going on in the NFC. So, yeah, I think, you know, the Rams obviously aren't, aren't a perfect team. And, you know, maybe, I don't know if it's fair to say that this season they're kind of overachieving. I mean, they obviously have a lot of tools there, but it does take some, you know, games and and tough losses and and close games to kind of figure out how to win consistently until you kind of get to that point where you're, you know, kind of like the Patriots, which obviously is a high mark to get to where you're just expected to win every week. And it's almost more of just a formality. Yeah, I think their offense is able to score points. They got a little rusty and sloppy at times, but Webster going down, that's the weakness is that secondary and another you know, season-ending Achilles injury could be how this team is beaten. Now, kind of segueing from that, Adam, they are still in first place because the Seahawks lost yesterday, so they're still atop that NFC West. The Seahawks lose to the Jaguars in a very feisty game that I want to spend some time talking about now. They go down to Duval, the Seahawks, and lose 30-24. to The Seahawks schedule, make no bones about it, starting with last week's Eagles game, gets very difficult down the stretch. But Jacksonville wins. They're 9-4. and They're 5-2 and at home. And Bortles, for the second straight week, puts together a pretty solid game. I don't know what to believe in in the AFC. I don't think a lot of these teams, other than the Patriots and Steelers, are good. But, Adam, I'll ask you this question. Can this version of the Jaguars, with Bortles doing a solid job for net running and defensively them getting a ton of pressure, can this version of the Jaguars make some noise in that AFC playoff picture? It's tough. I mean, obviously, I think that there's a big gap between them and the Steelers and the Patriots. And I think we've seen that, you know, Blake Bortles can make plays, but but it's just going to be tough. I mean, in in the playoffs, I think you're going to really, really have to ride the defense. And, you know, unfortunately, when you're going against solid teams week in and week out it's kind of hard to maybe necessarily rely on that I mean we'll definitely see you know if their if their defense can stack up uh in the cold potentially um if it's on the road and and things like that but fortunately Bortles doesn't have to do it all by himself he does have solid wide receivers and you know Fournette is a great resource for him so I I would struggle to you know obviously see them having to win a shootout in any type of playoff game but if you can kind of just get a solid defensive effort and maybe only ask for 17 points if you could hold team to 13 which is a tough ask but you know that might be the way to go if uh if they're going to make some noise yeah i think the heavy dose of fournette healthy you know he, he missed some games had had an issue with an injury and then his disciplinary thing if he's there mm-hmm. and and forget you know you have ivory and you have yeldon who's a pass catching back they don't need to be the flashiest team. We've seen ugly offenses win Super Bowls, but Bortles is playing better. Calais Campbell is, for my money, still, Adam, the best signing of the year. I mean, hands down what he means for that defense. I thought the matchup on paper looked good against the Seahawks, uh, and uh, surprisingly, uh, surprisingly, given the fact that their home crowd came alive, but Seattle with that bad offensive line, you knew Russell Wilson was going to be after it. The Seahawks are an interesting team. 
Because, Adam, I think they're a great, they have, you know, the championship, you know, heart of a champion, whatever you want to call it. They have that pedigree. But they still have some glaring weaknesses. And as much as I love watching Russell Wilson play this year and respect and trust the Pete Carroll coach team, it's hard to overcome some of these weaknesses, particularly at that offensive line position. Yeah, and and like you said, it's um, it's tough for him to consistently ha- be asked to do that week in and week out. They're an interesting team, also, just because it seems like they're kind of whoever they play. It's kind of like that their opponent, and maybe that's a tough thing for the Seahawks. You know, now that they kind of have a, a mark on their chest, teams kind of get up to play the Seahawks. But I think they also use them as kind of a good uh, barometer of where they are in the season. You know, that's kind of what we were looking at when we watched the Eagles Seahawks game last week thinking, you know, are the Eagles for real? And it was similar with the Jaguars. This is kind of a Jaguars team with a chance to kind of say, like, you know, this isn't just a fluky season we've had or we've just kind of had some wins against some easy teams. So they are that team that, you know, if they can get into the playoffs as a lower seed, similar to how the Steelers have been, I think, in years past, they can be a very scary team and a very scary matchup. But, um, yeah, I I don't think they're obviously as talented as they've been in, in years past, and that could end up hurting them being the difference between going to the Super Bowl or not. And Adam, I gotta ask you, what'd you think of the end of that game? Just the scene that went down. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I think that uh, you know, I don't really know what to make of it. it it's just uh, going back to maybe Greg Schiano. I, I think that you know teams get frustrated in those situations where you know you're not going to win the game. You know, maybe it's just a situation of of um, some players on the Seahawks not. I know there was a lot of words discussed about Blake Bortles said something about maybe lack of respect that the Seahawks have had for the Jaguars. You know, the Jaguars have kind of been in that mold of the last couple of years where, you know, sometimes they do kind of find themselves as the NFL laughingstock. And I, I think maybe, you know, it was a pride issue for a lot of the players on the Seahawks. You know, when things don't go well, they, they have to be thinking there's no way we're losing to this team. So, you know, what you saw from the fans in Jacksonville, you never really want to see. Obviously, they should be excited about their team. You know, they have, they should be excited to see some playoff football this season. But, you know, it's more than just, I think you have to treat, obviously, the opponent's players with a lot of respect. You know, they have families, you know, they're just normal people. Yeah. Um, so there's absolutely no reason to throw stuff at them. And and I think that is kind of, you know, a step too far over just kind of a, a good, hard, classic football game. Right, I agree with that. I think any any fan that throws something should be ejected and, and banned from future games, which the Jaguars claim to have identified. But I do have a problem mm-hmm. with Martellus Bennett. I mean, or excuse me, Michael Bennett. What is he Michael doing? Bennett. What is he doing? Diving at a, at a center's legs, rolling up on him. I mean, that is a dangerous, dirty play. And it did spark a lot of what we saw at the end of the game. Props to Fournette for getting in his face despite giving up size because he, you know, obviously saw it. Um, and Jefferson, look, I, the the lineman for the Seahawks, Jefferson. I understand fans should never be throwing stuff at you, but you've got to keep your head and not try to climb up into the stands. I mean, I understand that. I think that's a lot of how these things work, Adam, is that I think these can be mutually exclusive statements. No fan should ever throw something at a player, but a player can't just react like that. Anytime something like that gets thrown at him or somebody says something bad, you know, that's not the, the appropriate action to take. And, and luckily for him, he had a, he had an organizational worker for the Seahawks that was keeping him in line and not letting him get there. It could have been a very ugly situation. Yeah, because I've heard, you know, a lot of football players like to say, there's things you can get away with on the field, you know, that you can't get away with on the street, you know, mm-hmm. physically assaulting people, you know, throwing big blocks and stuff that kind of changes when you're going, yeah. when you're outside of those white lines and, you know, it comes into like crossing, crossing over to the fan section. So uh, there could definitely be a lot of problems there. And yeah, I mean, anytime, I, I think the cup blocks, anytime you go low at someone's knees, obviously I, in that situation, just the probability of you causing a fumble is 
almost negligible compared to you know possible season-ending or, or career-ending injury. Yeah, I think if the shoe was on the other foot, you'd, you'd have a player that's very upset, and that's how I would uh, how would I would address that situation. All right, Adam Musto, Money Mitch Effect. Uh, still talking NFL Week 14 in this playoff picture, this crowded playoff picture in the NFC. I want to briefly touch on Panthers and Vikings. Carolina, their biggest win of the season by far, a 31-24 win over the 10-3 and now Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota, Adam, we know, is going to lose some games. You know, they played well. They lost by one score to a potential playoff team on the road. Keenum continued to play well. But I, what I saw at Carolina was as good of an offensive performance as I've seen in years, probably since that Super Bowl year, led by Cam Newton and the resurgent Jonathan Stewart with three touchdowns. Yeah, and it, it was against, obviously, a very, very good Vikings defense, so not not an easy task. And, yeah, you just saw him kind of do things that you'd kind of forgotten or haven't seen him do in a while. The cut move on, on the long touchdown run and uh, the touchdown to Funches, the, the pass, you know, he was able to avoid a sack and kind of throw off his back foot. So for some reason I feel like those mm-hmm. are the things you haven't really consistently seen from him. And, and you know, you obviously hopefully will hopefully continue to see them consistently if – they're going to prove that that game was more than just an aberration, you know, is kind of how it's going to be for the rest of the way. Well, and I would argue, too, they needed this game, given the outcome of Thursday night football's game and how their schedule shapes up down the season, Adam, with the Falcons beating the Saints and, and staying alive themselves. You have Atlanta still in the mix. You have all these other teams that are still fighting on the outside at 7-6. and six. But would you agree with that? Do you think this game took on a greater sense of urgency after the Falcons won? Yeah, I think so. I mean, just that division is so competitive. I don't, you know, I can't remember. I'm sure maybe it has happened, but since realignment, I don't know if three teams from the same division have have made the playoffs. I know before realignment, there was times where four out of five division teams make the playoffs in the 90s. But yeah, it's just fight and claw. And that division's always kind of just been about churning, churning out and first to last. And Falcons didn't really make a whole lot of noise in the beginning of last season and kind of came out of nowhere to win the division. I feel like you kind of see that from time to time and and that's just kind of how it's going to be in the the south yeah we got it in 14 with that afc north if you remember that we're not okay. three of those teams and surprise surprise the browns were the team that did not make it which i'm sure everybody <laughs> yeah knew. well i know yeah uh, <laughs> it was the year the bears missed it in like the mid 90s and you had the buccaneers packers lions and vikings oh. all make it uh, yeah. nfc central so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i do remember that too um but no i think and look the falcons are a team that i think I think given how that Thursday night game played out, which, by the way, when I was watching it, I had the same thought I'm sure you had. When it was only a seven-point game and New Orleans couldn't cash in on any of those turnovers, that the Falcons were going to win that game. You can't give that offense that many chances, that many mulligans. I thought that was just clear they were going to win the game. But they're a team that I would bet if most NFC teams, if they had to answer the question, who do you not want to see get in and get hot, it's still probably the Falcons. You know, I think there's just so much emphasis on, like, the playoff experience, and that really makes a big difference. Just when it comes to closing out games and winning close games, you're just not being nervous and not pressing late in those situations, and that's what you kind of see from the teams, like the Falcons or talking about someone like the Seahawks as well. Yeah, well, I thought that game was great. I thought, you know, the Saints had that injury to Kamara. The Falcons were using defense. Jones's interception was amazing. But this NFC playoff picture, before we switch over to the AFC, Adam Musto, Money Mitch Effect, you have the Vikings at 10-3, and three, you have the Eagles at 11-2, and two. the Rams were up on the Seahawks by a game, you have that congested Saints, Panthers, Falcons mix there, but I'm not ready to kick in on a team like Green Bay who won, on Dallas even that won, and, and Detroit. I mean, these are three 7-6 and six teams that if they went out and get to 10-6, and six, 
it's still possible. It would take some help, but those teams are still alive. And one in particular is getting a pretty good quarterback back, we would assume. Yeah, I think um, you know the Packers have done it before in 2013. I know it's like their nightmare. It's, it's your nightmare, right? Like Rodgers is going to get healthy and they're just going to get hot in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're like Jason. You just can't can't get rid of them. They just keep kind of staying around. And there's so many bizarre things that have games that have been decided by one one player or one score. And I mean, I, I could definitely see them not losing again if Aaron Rodgers is a quarterback. And obviously, like people have been talking about, if if Ezekiel Elliott can come back, there they've shown that they're a much improved team with him. So, so you know, there's potential there as well. I think I think it's going to be hard for those teams to that are seven and six now to make that push. They need some help. It's possible. I think a more likely scenario is that Seahawks and Rams both get in, and the NFC South sorts itself out with just two of those three teams. It's crazy, but I do think there's a good chance an eleven and five team is going to miss the playoffs this year. Yeah, I mean it because uh, right now, yeah, I mean everyone's either nine and four. I guess the Falcons at eight and five. It's yeah, it's a crazy, a crazy race. But I, I think what will be good is it, like you kind of said, it'll also play itself out. So you'll kind of learn a lot about these teams. And you're not—I don't think you'll see teams backing in. Teams are really going to have to fight to stay in the playoff race and, and make the playoffs. So you kind of know that you'll be getting the cream of the crop. You certainly do. Well, the AFC, Adam, uh, is pretty sorted out, I think. We, we even have tiers of teams in the playoffs, which is kind of nice, except for the bottom of the wild card race, which is what it is, unfortunately. But towards the top of the AFC, a great game, one of the games of the year last night, the Steelers and the Ravens put on a classic, uh, probably, you know, I wouldn't even say classic, because I think I, I read it was the most points scored in the history of the rivalry. A 39-38 win, yeah, Steelers over the Ravens. But looking at this Pittsburgh team, I mean, they do play to the level of their competition. Their defense has holes. The Ryan Shazier injury is horrible. It's something we never wanted to see. But the offense is still amazing, and it's still there when you need it. And even when they dig themselves a hole, they just have that crazy ability to get out of it. I hate to say it, but it's something I haven't really seen before. This offense is just money ability to make plays is breathtaking yeah and i it's just so bizarre because i feel like the last few seasons they've kind of been that 560 that have been kind of hanging around and but this year they're able to continue to win games and and i mean i i would have written them off the last two weeks i'm i was pretty surprised that they were able to come back against the Bengals and and come back late against the ravens last week so it's obviously got to be frustrating if you're in that division and you're not a steelers fan or you know, not that I have a whole lot of sympathy for them, but you know, if the Patriots are trying to uh, move up to the number one seed, obviously that'll play itself out um, when they face off. But, but yeah, I don't know if that's consistent enough to you know knock off the Patriots. It just it doesn't seem as clean or as it's been in, in years past. But, but maybe maybe it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, they have so much talent on offense that they are able to if if they can just kind of put a few more things together, I think that they could be a really dominant team. We just haven't seen these wins where they've just looked totally amazing. I mean, do you think Big Ben can throw the ball 66 times a game <laughs> down the stretch? I mean, that's <laughs> insane. Even if they get a, even if they're assuming you're going to get a bye. I, I don't know that that's the formula. I think they were scrambling a little bit last night, but I'd like to see more if, I mean, I'm not saying this like I want it to happen, but if I was a Steelers fan, Bell getting a heavy dose of Bell would be better. They're more upright than they've been. I think they've had key injuries the last couple of years that have hampered them, but offensively, the talent is there. It's second to none in the NFL. And look, 
Adam, Antonio Brown is in the MVP discussion. If he's not, he should be. Because behind Brady right now, I think he's my number two pick. Yeah, I would love to see that. I mean, he's just, he almost, he plays so consistently or, you know, he's every week it, it's almost like you kind of take it for granted. And then, you know, you're saying that he's, you know, has over 200 yards receiving or just, you know, you can always lock on him to have close to seven, eight catches a game at a minimum almost. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's so clutch in, in the fourth quarter and close games, they're, they're downs, uh, moving the sticks. And, you know, obviously we saw Bell get dinged up last week or yesterday and, and you know, mm-hmm. he's had some struggles staying healthy late in the season. So that's obviously that would be a, a huge blow for them if, if something terrible happens to him. But I think, like you said, yeah, you have to probably shift a lot of that to him. Um, so Ben Roethlisberger isn't throwing the ball over 60 times a game. I mean, you just know that Brown's going to get open. We saw it. the Ravens try to guard him with Carr on one-on-one and knew he was going to gash him up, and he did. I just think it's time for other positions as well to get some recognition here. Uh, Adam Elstow, Money Mitch Effect. In losing, though, in losing the this game that the Ravens did, they actually showed that they can hang with one of the premier teams uh, in the NFL and the Steelers. Do you think the Ravens are a team that we can finally make some sense of because somebody has to make those wild card spots? Some team, even the Titans in the eight in the still with a division chance, the five C that does that don't look very good. But assuming that they get in, somebody has to be that last seven and six team. Is it going to be the Ravens, the Bills? Who who could two teams in the AFC West? Who do you think it could be? Yeah, I don't know. I think the Ravens are just such a surprising team. You know, they they lost to the Bears earlier in the season. They had some really bad losses, but but they do kind of have, you know, they still have John Harbaugh and they still have Joe Flacco and they have, you know, a pretty good defense. But I think you just kind of see a lot of inconsistency overall with a lot of those teams. Um, you know, the Titans have obviously shown signs in the beginning of the season. Obviously, you know, we thought the Chiefs were going to be the number one seed in the conference. Maybe that's kind of what the wild cards are and they'll kind of play each other, play themselves out. I don't really know. I mean, you just see the flashes and maybe it's just whoever can get hot. You know, if a team can kind of get hot and the things that have carried them late in the season, a team like San Diego, um, and they can consistently do what they've done well, then they can make a run. It's um, all right. Otherwise, I, I I've, think said, gonna... I've said San Diego too. It's okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. Of course, Los Angeles chargers. It's going to take me a while to get used to that. But I, I, I agree with um, you there though, because I think if we're looking at this just by what the talent is, what the eye test tells us, I'd still say Chiefs, Chargers, and probably Ravens. I think the Titans might go on a big losing streak here if Mariota is indeed injured, which it looks like he is. Um, I just, I, I think they are the better teams. I think the Chiefs, I, I don't understand how they lost all those games. The Chargers, it's similar. They were just blowing games earlier. They have an easy schedule down the stretch, which we know now the Raiders are terrible, right? Like, it's, it's assumed we know how bad they are. Yeah, I mean, you can't lose a game like they, they did. And, and I think a lot of we've been kind of waiting for them to make a move. And, yeah, I don't know if it's just kind of a regression on Carr. I mean, I think he still is okay. But, yeah, just – or if it's on coaching. But, yeah, I wouldn't really count them on, yeah. count them in. Jack Del Rio's running out of scapegoats in Oakland, um, as is Mark Davis, yeah. I would believe. Yeah, they may. Revis thinks he might be able to play ten more years after his game yesterday. He feels great, right? Uh, but yeah. I, and the Bills look. I, I don't. There's too many injuries there. I, I think they overplayed how good they were supposed to be, similar to how the Jets were 
Um, even the Jets at five and eight, you know, people weren't expecting them to win many games at all this year. The Bills are in that same boat where I think even though they have that perch position now with the Taylor injury, Peterman out, you know, they were at Joe Webb at quarterback yesterday. I just don't see it. What a scene though yesterday. Can we talk about that for just a minute? How that Blizzard game was oh, yeah. amazing television. Yeah, I think those are you know some classic games, and it's just the PAT by Adam Vinatieri. Obviously, you know, ironically missing a field goal that could have won it at the end of regulation. But yeah, those those are great. I think uh, that'll be a classic. Even though you know maybe looking back, two teams that kind of down the stretch maybe you know aren't going to have a whole lot of big name players, or you know it's kind of going to be kind of a footnote. But but yeah just love the scenery um and the environment i think that's kind of what football is meant to be back where i am now in chicago it's finally snowing a little bit so it kind of feels like the season and just you know classic football weather yeah it's it's always fun i mean even even if you're in places where it's not snowing it's cool to see and uh just what is we had the army navy game on saturday which snowed and then this was just the 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 blizzard of all blizzards uh, I thought it was great television, and, and the Bills making plays at the end to win it at home was, was kind of cool. It was fun. I was wondering, though, if they could even review, you know, inbounds, out-of-bounds. Like, how do you really know? <laughs> but part of, yeah. that, part of that's cool, though. Yeah, and another question I had was when, when the players are kicking off the snow, uh, you know, kicking the snow to try to get the field goal down, I, don't know, I thought, why don't guys just, like, slide or make, like, a huge, like, snow angel? I thought they're big enough where they can get a good – good amount to you know, clear the way but i don't know yeah. yeah i don't know that's a good question i was wondering if you'd see someone throw a snowball on man coverage or something or just a pass oh yeah just you know do that right uh, i do have to mention on the money mitch effect how bad the browns are this might have been I, I wouldn't say an all-time low but uh as bad of a performance in a game that they could have won if that makes sense just I'm sick of Hugh Jackson's crap, honestly. I'm at that point. It's just ridiculous how he finds ways to blow these games. Well, maybe, yeah, I mean, my question to you is, is what, and not that it gives you any solace, but what do you find different frustration levels of losing? Because that's what I've kind of seen also with the Bears this year, where sometimes you get blown out, sometimes you're heading into a game yeah. that you should win, exactly. you're close and you lose, or, or games like this where, you know, you just kind of blow it at the end. There's a lot of different ways to lose, and, and obviously yeah. none of them are, are yeah. good, so I think we can relate. But I think on one you can thing. learn stuff. Yeah, I think you're and being a Bears fan, and and props to Trubisky for having his you know best game as a pro against the Bengals. An unpredictable outcome there. Cincinnati's showing a lot of character there. But I, I think here's where we can relate, right? You have your expectations going into a game that you're probably going to lose when you have a bad team. But even if that even if that's the case and you're winning, that changes things, right? You expect, okay, now we're in the game. Now this is competitive. Green Bay was a game I thought we'd be competitive and have a chance to win, getting up by two touchdowns. You're up by two touchdowns in the second half. That's when I really analyze coaching, and that's when I see a coach in Hugh Jackson that just abandons his running game whenever he feels like it, designs plays for a quarterback that's pretty much not capable of a lot of them, and just never has a grasp on situational football. That's what pisses me off most about Hugh Jackson. I understand the roster sucks. I understand Dorsey's the guy they brought in, and, and I like his track record. I've liked a lot of guys' track records that's come onto this Browns organization, but I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt here. But Hugh Jackson, I mean, that, that game last night, any coach in the league, what does Bill Belichick do in that situation? Guaranteed, it's not losing it. Yeah, and you see that, you know, if you're a young team, it's just, yeah, it's tough to close out games for certain coaches or certain players. And, and yeah, the young teams, the kind of inexperienced teams, or just in general the bad teams kind of find ways to lose and the good yeah. teams can kind of find ways to win. And, 
And Hunley's not throwing and, the uh, ball he, downfield. Hunley is not throwing the ball downfield. He he can do some things. I don't think he's a total disaster at quarterback. But they let him dink and dunk and run, which I couldn't even believe. I mean, that's the main thing he can do to get them into range for the tying score and then the win in overtime. So yeah, I'm I'm over I'm over Hugh Jackson. I really hope Dorsey talks out Haslam of. Uh, of uh, keeping him keeping on board, him. but hey, Haslam, uh, you know he, he's a banner, a banner week, a banner month with the University of Tennessee. I'm glad he's keeping it going with the Browns. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Money Mitch Effect. I do want to thank you again for coming on, Adam Musto, uh, and I want to also say we want to end this segment on where we were right, where we were, or where we were wrong. Excuse me. Uh, but a quick shout out before that, I was not wrong about a guy I thought would be very good, Jimmy Garoppolo. Looked pretty good through two starts. Oh yeah, I uh, I mean I like him a lot mainly just because he grew, grew up twenty minutes away from me. So someone I, I like to root for. I'm just always curious, you know. I would love to just kind of be a fly in the wall of what the Patriots were looking at, kind of what their plans were with Brady, how long he was going to play, what they saw in Garoppolo and the limited games he's played or, or in practices. Because obviously, if he ends up being a great franchise guy, which it might be a little early to say that, you know, it, it's I mean, there's a lot of talk about him when he got drafted, so he didn't really come out of nowhere in the mm-hmm. sense. But yeah, you know, I think that he's definitely been a pleasant surprise, and and uh, I don't know, you know, maybe things are starting to turn up in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, seems like it. I'm a fan of how how his poise is back there. His release is good, and uh, yeah, he's uplifted a team that had very little momentum, and uh, is still able to make big plays down the stretch. So uh, we'll see. I mean, mm-hmm. San Francisco is. is they're in rebuilding mode, but they got some assets. They got some picks coming up. We shall see what happens. All right, Adam Musto, week fourteen. Where were you wrong? Where did you where did you need to reassess some things based on what you saw in the football field? Yeah, I mean, well, even just going back to the Seahawks. I mean, I think the the big win they had against the the Eagles. I, I thought that they would absolutely just kind of keep it going, and. And, I, you know, maybe that's kind of where the frustration comes in that they weren't able to win against the Jaguars. And just because I don't think that I wasn't really on board with the Jaguars yet. Obviously, their defense has been pretty well, but that was the one that really surprised me. I'll give, pro- I'll give props to the Dallas Cowboys. We didn't really talk about them as much, but I, like a lot of people, thought they were done, dead, and buried with the Zeke injury with some other injuries after that Eagles loss. Back to seven and mm-hmm. six, I mean, right in the thick of things. And those division games, as you know, in the NFC East, not easy. Even with a terrible Giants team, even with you know Eli Manning coming back after they absolutely screwed him out of his straight game starts. But yeah, I think I think that's the team that I was uh, most wrong on so far, and the Raiders. But that's easy. I mean, everybody was wrong about the Raiders. <laughs> yeah, and um, earlier I think I was wrong with the Cowboys. I didn't think they would fall off as much as they have without Zeke Elliott, and yesterday I did really expect the Giants. I don't know if they would I necessarily would have picked them to win, but I just thought with Eli Manning back and kind of getting rid of McAdoo, I thought that kind of would have fired up the team to kind of play for Eli, play for themselves, really. You know, I don't know what their relationship is with Spagnuolo, their interim head coach, but, but you know, I, I think it is a shame that he lost the, the starting streak for a weird formality, just or not even just to play Geno Smith, which didn't really accomplish anything. I know we've talked about that. But, um, but, yeah, I was kind of surprised just by how lackadaisical they looked as well. Yeah, well, yeah, permanent interim head coach Steve Spagnoia, I think that's kind of the ring right. that I like hearing. But, 
All right, Adam Muslo, this was fun. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate you. Um, and until next time, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's episode of The Money Mitch Effect. Hope you enjoyed the show. Special thanks again to both guests, Adam Musto and TD St. Matthew Daniel, for appearing on today's show. Uh, If you like this episode, as well as all the episodes of The Money Mitch Effect, 121 now to boot, you can find them on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect, and it pops right up. You can leave a review, a rating, subscribe. You can stay part of the show. We really would like to have you. There will be another episode this week. Got to talk hockey. Got to talk some storylines of the National Hockey League as well as uh, maybe some baseball talk in there. There's been some couple developments there. The Yankees are back to being the most hated team as well. Props to Kawhi Leonard for a return last night. I'm a big fan of his. It's good to see him back. In a loss, he only played 16 minutes, but it's good to see the claw back on the court. And uh, if you are a fan of an NFL team that's in the playoff hunt, congratulations. If you're overcoming, uh, if you have to deal with an injury, I'm sorry to you. I Carson Wentz and the Eagles fans, it's the worst thing you want to see. But head up. Uh, we're only uh, 12 days now away from the holidays. So hope you enjoy the holiday time with your family as we get ready for a sports push of football season for the ages. This was the Money Mitch Effect. I am Mitch Michaels. Thanks for listening. And until next time, if there's sports on, you should probably watch it. Thanks, and we'll see you again.